Let me say welcome again to all of you. Um, for those of you who may be new, my name is Hank Avent. I, I'm retired, but this is my church, St. Philip's, and uh, they still let me volunteer a bit. So um, uh, it's great to be here with you today as we uh, are in the Advent season and heading toward Christmas. Um, and I'm just thankful to see so many of you come out to um, enjoy this great lunch and the fellowship and to hear uh, Todd's story today. So um, Bob Coons is going to do the introductions, and he's got one or two announcements to make, so we're going to start a little bit early. And so, Bob, if you'd come up now. Thank you, Hank. Good afternoon to all of you. Before I introduce my good friend Todd Brown, I want to take a moment and ask each of you to think about doing something for yourselves in the coming months. If you've ever thought about being a more godly man, a godly, more godly husband, a more godly father, a more godly brother, a more godly son, this diocese offers a wonderful opportunity known as the Diocesan's Men's Conference that happens from February 23rd through the 25th. The chairman of that committee is Richard Moore, and Richard has put brochures on your tables describing the timeline of this conference this coming, this coming uh, February. But you'll see that Bishop Lawrence is talking to us about biblical manhood. I know if you're like me, there are lots of things that I have done that I've wished uh, I hadn't, a lot of regrets. But part of what I've also learned is that it's informative and useful to get away for renewal and refreshing. You'll recall when you read the New Testament that Jesus took his disciples and went out of town. Well, out of town here is Camp St. Christopher. So the idea here is for men to gather together to discuss what Bishop Lawrence talks about and to become literally more godly men. So I'd ask each of you to pray about the idea of going to this. It's a wonderful experience. You'll find lots of reasons that you can't. I think in my mind, those are Satan behind those things. But there's only one reason that you would like to go, and that's because you follow Jesus. You'll find him showing up there. So I would encourage each of you to think very seriously, to pray carefully about the idea of attending the men's conference out of Camp St. Christopher, February 23rd through the 25th. You arrive on Friday afternoon. Uh, you begin with a dinner and a talk by Bishop Lawrence. He does a talk in the morning on Saturday. Uh, then there will either be opportunities for uh, some uh, quiet time or additional teachings, things of that sort. Uh, but it's a wonderful experience, and I promise you, you'll grow greatly from the opportunity of being there. So prayerfully consider that, if you would, for yourself. You'll come back, I think, a better person. You've seen the materials on my good friend Todd Brown. Um, the materials indicate, of course, that Todd went to Presbyterian College, then went to the Darla Moore School of Business before entering the banking world. Uh, Todd's been uh, successful in his career with Bankers Trust, with Bank of America, and now with PNC Bank. He's had a variety of responsibilities. I think Todd would also tell you that he's uh, been more delighted by a lot of the things that have happened to him outside the, the professional world. Um, of course, he is married to Courtney. They have what materials describe as a blended family of five children and a son-in-law from the age of 13 to 24. Uh, Todd is wonderful with people, as you all know. Uh, but my experiences with Todd date back to a Bible study that he and I ran probably some 20 years ago. And one of the things that I was so amazed about with Todd is what I call his vulnerability. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to expose and, and admit a lot of my weaknesses, a lot of my shortcomings. 
but Todd has a gift and a willingness to share with the people with whom uh, he's visiting or talking about things that have happened to him and his shortcomings, and it becomes a real gift to you. He has the further ability that I would call making that vulnerability holy. It's holy in the sense that he's willing to tell you about how God has changed his life, how God has met him at the places he's been, how God has helped heal him, how God's helped change him, um, and you'll find it to be an amazing story that Tom will share with us this weekend, again, or this evening, or this morning. Again, I encourage you to think about and listen to his ideas about how he's been vulnerable on a holy basis, and think about how that fits in your own lives. Tom, would you come forward, please, sir? Yep. Let me pray for Todd, if I may, before he begins. Dear God, I thank you for your servant, Todd, your son whom you love, whom you've adopted as a child. We thank you for the blessing you bestowed upon him and the blessing he's been to so many of us in this room. We ask that you be with him and give him a sense of calm and peace as he shares his message today. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, can you all hear me? Um, just that I didn't have this written down, but just to follow up on it, I remember I was talking to, uh, I was at one of these events one time, and I was talking to Wade Logan, and he said, you know, I can always find reasons not to go to an event. I can always, I mean, leading up to the event, I've got a million things that pop up, but he said, when I get there, I realize how glad I am that I actually get, got there. So I would say that you think about that when you think about activities that you may or may that you would may think about getting involved with one being this men's conference um, Bob thank you for that introduction I, I was a little bit panicked when you said uh, we did a Bible study 20 years ago and I was amazed at how little you knew about the Bible and we're actually <laughs> leading a, a Bible study but um, you were very kind so thank you so much for saying that um, men I stand here not as a man who has won the battle, not as a man without sin and faults. No, I stand in front of you as a man that continues to fight battles, as a man with many faults and many sins. But the good news is, is that I know that I have a Savior who has already fought and won that battle. Standing in front of a group of men, a group of peers, can be really intimidating, but I guess it could also feed one's ego. I mean, like, look at me. Oh, man, I got it done. I'm, I'm the man. I'm here. I got everything going right. Well, whenever I get the big, big ego, I like to remember a story that was once told to me, and this is a true story. Now, I want to protect the innocent, so we'll just call one of the characters of this story Prelo. That's a, you know. <laughs> you know, well, it seems that Prelo wanted to get married to a wonderful and beautiful woman who, again, we'll just call her Heidi. And uh, their priest at the time required all couples wishing to get married to attend Alpha. Now, if you're not aware of Alpha or familiar with it, it's a series of sessions that explore the Christian faith, and it's a wonderful program, and I would encourage you to consider it if you uh, ever have the opportunity. But to say the least, Prelo was not excited about the prospects of attending Alpha to attending a course with a bunch of holy rollers. But his love for Heidi prevailed, and Prelo registered for Alpha. Now, he walked into that first session with trepidation, 
You see, Prelo is a Marine and trained to assess danger. And like a well-trained Marine, he started his review of the room from the back, from those individuals that he would first encounter. The first few people he saw confirmed everything he had anticipated about this program. He says, man, that lady over there, she's really nice. That guy over there, he's polite and good. And that gum, I think I saw that dude walking on water last week. And he said, so this feeling of fear continued to build in him as he surveyed the room, that is, until he looked at the front. He says, when he saw who was leading the course, this is a quote, he relaxed and said, well, at least I'm not the worst person in the room. <laughs> Todd Brown is leading the course, and I know he's terrible. I've seen him in bars drinking beer. So, also, you don't want to ask Prelo what to wear when you go on a Ukrainian mission trip. I followed his advice and was immediately detained by the Russian military and the German um, TSA. So, now the rest of the story. Prelo completed the course. He married Heidi, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. You see, Prelo sold his business. He and Heidi became Alpha missionaries, and they traveled around the country planning Alpha courses. So my wish for y'all is like Prelo, that knowing who I am, knowing that I'm a sinner, and that it's only through God's grace that I am saved, that the Holy Spirit will touch you. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about my background, and then I'm going to discuss a couple of the battles that I have fought. You've heard the statement, born and bred, or born and raised. Well, I was raised in the Carolinas. I've spent my entire life in either North Carolina or South Carolina. But you've noticed that I left something out, the born part. That is not something I talk about, and I only disclose it when required to document my place of birth on a form. Don't worry, I wasn't born in Ohio, but it's second to Ohio. That's right, I was born in Michigan. I mean, see, my dad was in the Army, and he was assigned to Detroit. I'm not sure. I really wish they had picked Virginia or Alabama. But anyway, we were only there for a few months, and then we moved to the Carolinas. I was raised in Columbia, and my parents joined a church when it was in its infancy and meeting in an elementary school. The church was called Cathwood Baptist. Both of my parents were involved. My father was a deacon, and I believe my mother was a church moderator, and they both served as a conduit between the younger age people and the older age people. And on March 16, 1975, at the age of 12, I walked down to the front of the church and committed my life to Christ. A few weeks later, I was baptized. Now that is total submersion. None of this sprinkling stuff. I went completely under, had my feet hooked so they wouldn't pop up the other side. But unfortunately, I'm not sure how serious I took the situation. It might have been the thing that I was supposed to do. It may, I believe it was, the pinnacle of my faith for the next two decades. Yes, I attended various youth groups over the next few years, but, it, but I do not remember being an active Christian. I graduated high school in 1981 and went to Presbyterian College. Now, I'm going to a college supported by a mainstream denomination. I must have attended church regularly. Nope. Not once did I attend a Sunday service in Clinton. 
During this period of my life, I would attend church with whomever I was dating. Some would say, then you hardly ever went. But (laughs) (laughs) this non-involvement continued post-graduation. I went to work in banking, then business school, then back in the banking, and never did my foot cross the entrance to a church unless I was with a girlfriend. The strange thing is that I was searching for comfort and guidance. I talked to an individual who was a big big advocate of transcendental meditation. Uh, He wasn't doing it from a Christian approach. And I tried it, but no relief was found. And then I decided to do something adventurous. I went on a three-week-long outward-bound trip in the Wasatch Mountain Range in Utah. And during the trip, there would be a period of three days where I would be alone and fasting. And before I left and went on the trip, the individual that was big into transcendental meditation gave me some information regarding a vision quest. A vision quest is a rite of passage for young Native Americans. And according to Wikipedia, during this time, the person prays and cries out to spirits, plural, that they may have a vision, one that will help them find their purpose in life, their role in community, and how they may best serve the people. Dreams or visions may involve natural symbolism, such as animals or forces of nature, that require interpretation by the elders. After their passage into adulthood and guided by this experience, the young person may then become an apprentice or student of an adult who has mastered the skill. Well, when during my time of alone, and I was sleeping, I did wake up a few times surrounded by deer. I don't really know what that means. Nobody's ever called me running deer or little white dove or, but but it's clear to me that I was searching. I was searching for something. And I give thanks that during this period of my life that I did not reject my faith and pursue alternative and secular relief. I got married in 1990 and my in-laws were active in St. Michael's Church. And do you notice a pattern? Yes, I'm attending church because of someone else. And I think that's a good example to reminder to me and maybe to y'all that to invite people to church. That may be how they become Christians. So invite them. To learn more about the church and become a member, I attended adult confirmation. And I realized that I had very little knowledge about the church or the Bible. I believe that I thought the Gospels were written in chronological order. And I'm not even real sure that I understood what the Gospels were. But I believe my heart was starting to be changed. During this period, I met with one-on-one with my rector. And when the meeting concluded, we, talked, uh, we walked into the sanctuary and, and net, uh, knelt at the prayer rail. And when you know, we and mainly he prayed, and I literally wept. I believe the seeds planted in me early in my life were starting to germinate. One day at work, I returned to my office and I have a message for me. Now, for some of you guys, you may not realize that that the message didn't come on my phone and it didn't show up on a tweet or text or something. It was actually a piece of paper stuck on a spindle. And I walked by my secretary's desk and I grabbed it and I was like, "Uh, this is from my rector. She said, yes. I immediately panicked. I mean, what sin did he want to confront me about, and how did he find out about it? I mean, literally, I felt like I was being sent to the principal's office. 
I asked my secretary if he said why, you know, why he called, and she said no. So I returned the call, and fortunately, he was unavailable. Task done. I'm, I did what I was supposed to do. When I returned to my office after another meeting, I again had a message from my rector. Panic. I mean, for him to call me twice, whatever he found out must really be bad. I, I returned the call, and he was unavailable. Another meeting, another message, but the message this time was different. He asked my secretary if I was in the building. She said, yes. He said, tell Todd I'm walking down to meet with him. I mean, it was like <laughs> panic, death calm one. I mean, this has got to be bad for my rector to walk down and meet with me. He walked in my office, and I'm sure I could barely speak. But instead of confronting me about my sinful nature, he asked me to consider being treasurer of the church. While I was hesitant, I felt if a man of Christ wanted my help, then I should provide it. Well, this led to many other activities. And as I became more involved in the church, I had the opportunity to hear many testimonies. And I can distinctly remember not ever wanting to have a testimony to give because all testimonies in my mind involved bad events, pain and suffering. But the part that was said, but I never really picked up on, was I did not hear the part of restoration and the greatness of God's grace. I focused only on the bad and did not want to experience trials. I mean, things were good for me. Health, jobs, kids. I was working for God, and things were great. Then 2012 hit. I was on the vestry. I was active, actively leading and participating in men's ministry. I was attending conferences around the country. I was doing God's work. Then I felt like my feet had been cut out from under me. I was taken out. I was being hit on all fronts, relationally, business, health. I was angry. Yes, I was angry at God. I withdrew from all leadership roles. I did not attend the last couple of vestry meetings. I didn't quit attending church, but I would go to different services in different churches and sit alone. In fact, it was during this period that Hank reached out to me at Starbucks and said, would you consider speaking to this group? And I declined. Started telling people I felt like I was a boulder rolling down a mountain, and the Lord was using this period to knock off the hard edges. Well, it was a really high mountain. I mean, it was bigger than Everest. And I had and still have a lot of hard edges to be knocked off. But it was during this period that I saw amazing evidence of God's work. In one situation, I learned about something inadvertently. It was crushing information. What could I do? I went to speak with Acton Beard, a counselor who also happens to have a strong faith in Christ. And if you know Acton, you know she speaks the truth, and she speaks it firmly. Acton said, Todd, you need to love and pray. I was like, what? You're crazy. I need to take action. I need to fix things. I need to hurt someone. No, Todd, love and pray. That is what I did. Against all my judgment, that's what I did. I loved and I prayed. And guess what? God answered those prayers. It didn't happen overnight, but he did answer. It was a miracle.
in hindsight, I may want to discount what he did, say, oh, things just worked out. However, I know that God fixed the situation because I could not have dreamed of a better solution. During this period when I was meeting with very close friends, I would say, all I can do is pray. What I was really saying, what I believed, was because I can't fix it, I will get God involved. Like he was my last option. I mean, how backwards did I have it? Prayer should be the first thing that I do in all situations. And I just say, Lord, please forgive me for my ignorant ways. It was also during this period in my life that I became annoyed with some of the sermons. I mean, do we have to preach on addiction every other week? Do we have to talk about things that are going to take over our life? Drugs, sex, work, rock and roll, alcohol? I distinctly remember trying to rationalize my behavior, debating my behavior, justifying my behavior. It's never hurt anyone. I've never missed a day of work, and I work out almost every day. No one knows. One day in, while I was in church, it was probably June or July 2012, I distinctly remember the story of the rich ruler speaking to Jesus. It's Matthew 19. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, the ruler said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now the message Jesus was sending me was, Todd, give me the alcohol. Like the young ruler, I was not pleased with this message. I said, Jesus, you don't understand. I mean, how arrogant, again, am I? I mean, I'm guilty of this. I mean, like, Jesus, you don't understand. This is how I reach men. They see me drinking beer and hanging out with a bunch of guys, and they're willing to talk to me. They can relate to me, and then I can witness to them. Jesus said, Todd, give me the alcohol. I was distressed. How would life go on without alcohol? I could never enjoy going out to eat again, never enjoy another vacation, another round of golf. That actually may be good but never again hang out with guys. Life would end. I might as well die. Todd, give me the alcohol. I tried to get that image and thought out of my head. I was like Jonah running from the Lord. In August 2012, I was returning from a funeral in Charlotte, and I stopped in Columbia to attend a wake of a high school buddy who had suddenly passed away. I received a phone call from my good friend Wood Marchant. If you don't know Wood, he is now 20-plus years sober and has spent the majority of his career saving lives of individuals dealing with addiction. 
and he's currently the director of the Collegiate Recovery Program at the College of Charleston. Well, Woods called. He said, Todd, hey, I would like for you to participate in an intervention that I'm going to be leading. It's like, why me? But he asked, and so I agreed to help, and so I said yes. And during the intervention, I saw the distress of the family members. I saw their love for this individual, and I saw how they wanted this individual to get help. I didn't speak much, but then I remember saying this. I told the individual that God loves you. You need to walk out of darkness. You need to let God's loving light shine into your life. Then a strange thing happened. I started to see myself as the one receiving the intervention. I remember the individual telling Wood that they did not have a problem. I know exactly where I was standing when they said this. They said, because I often don't drink on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and sometimes Thursdays. I was like, great answer. <laughs> Wood's response, and I can see him saying this, do you know most people do not have to make that statement? Ugh. Conviction again. I got in the car with my rector and I said, I think I may need to quit. The next morning I drove my friend to the outpatient facility at MUSC for an assessment and while sitting in the waiting area, I decided to catch up on my devotionals. At the time I was reading Nicky Gumbel's Bible in a Year. In one of his commentaries, he made the following statement. It has been said that we have three lives, a public life, a private life, and a secret life. And holiness only occurs when all three are in agreement. Alcohol was my secret life. Todd, give me the alcohol, conviction, and confirmation. Then my daughter, who was home from school recovering from tooth surgery, texted me a Bible verse, and I think this is the verse. It was 1 Corinthians 6:19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I replied to my daughter, why did you send this to me? Because I don't ever remember getting a Bible verse text from her. Her response, is, I just felt like God wanted me to send it to you. Todd, give me the alcohol, conviction, and confirmation. That afternoon, I called Wood. I remember I was sitting in my car at the Starbucks parking lot at the corner of Calhoun and East Bay. I said, I want to go to the meeting tonight. He said, great. He assumed I was going in support of the other individual. After further discussion, he goes, wait a minute, wait, wait. Is this about you? I said, yeah. He went through a few questions with me. Then he agreed to take me to the meeting. As I was walking into the meeting, my phone rang but I let it go to voicemail. A little bit later, after being in a meeting, I said, hi, I'm Todd Brown, and I'm an alcoholic. To this day, that is both easy and hard for me to say. Easy because I know it's true, and I'm better off not drinking. Hard because it's true. People come up to me and say, I never saw you drunk. I never saw you out of control. My response is, yeah, you did. You just didn't notice. I'm more likely to be an ass sober than I am drunk. <laughs> I, I would tell myself I did not have a problem because I gave it up for Lent. Well, if you've ever heard the statement, one is too many, 100 is never enough, 
That statement applies to me. You see, I would rather not drink than be limited to one. Alcohol had a control over my life. Now back to the phone call. It was from our own Jay Krause, who I had met a couple of years earlier. Jay is now the director of men's ministry with the diocese. And I had met him at Peter Moore's house several years before when he was given an introductory talk about men's ministry. I had never met him. It was a very good talk. When I was leaving, Peter and Jay were standing at the door. I shook his hand. He says, Todd, are you going to the men's conference that Bob was just referencing? It's like, great. I know, but I, and I don't really want to go. I was like, no, but I'm thinking about it. He goes, great. You're going to be my roommate. I was like, who is this dude? You know, Peter, I called him up. I was like, dude, that guy you had there just made me be his roommate. Anyway, so he and I went to the conference. We roomed together. And we had a great time. But I hadn't spoken to Jay in several months. So back to the phone call. So I asked him, I said, I returned his phone call. And I said, Jay, why did you call me? His response was, well, I'm staying up in Michigan. I ran into somebody from Charleston. And I thought of you. And I thought I would reach out. And I said, Jay, you're not going to believe this. But you called as I was walking into an AA meeting. Todd, give me the alcohol. Confirmation and conviction. As I look back on this, I see God's hands were all over it. He was calling me to give him the alcohol. I could have continued to reject the call. Maybe things would have turned out okay, but I think not. Or maybe I would have changed at a later date, but I chose to follow his lead to open the door to let his light shine on my addiction. And what did he do? He confirmed my choice. And when I hit low periods, I looked to these events as support for not continuing to drink. I also pray that I'm able to use the memory of these two events as encouragement to step out into faith, to seek God's will first, and then pursue it. My wife, Courtney, has a relative, an individual with a very strong faith that states, stepping out in faith, following Jesus Christ, is the greatest high ropes course in the world. It's scary, exhilarating, and rewarding. And you know what? If we slip and fall, Jesus is there to catch us. He has already saved us. Together as men, I know we can support, encourage, and love each other as we experience the high ropes course that Jesus has in store for each one of us.